0: For those of us who were not here previously, I keep feeling like I have to say this over and over again because I keep seeing new faces in the crowd. So, For what we're discussing with these sermons, we're going through and breaking down the Beatitudes piece by piece. We're going and starting at the very beginning and going all the way to the end and looking at each individual piece of it, each individual Beatitude, and really looking in depth at each of them. This morning we discussed the idea behind being meek and the importance of meekness and the value of meekness and broke it down into which parts were which and how that all fit together and how meekness not only requires strength, but it also requires self-control. Previously we talked about being poor in spirit and those who mourn as well and talking about the importance of all of those and how Jesus, when He preached to this sermon, was laying a framework. He was laying the backbone of everything else that He was going to teach laying the backbone of everything else that we were going to hold to as Christians. Now, of course, not everything is taught in the Beatitudes, but it is a framework, a guideline that we can follow. We can say, okay, that was what he was intending, but that makes sense as to how it builds. See, Christianity is a building religion. It understands it's a maturing process. And so as we go into our subject matter this evening, we're going to be discussing the idea of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Now you see on the screen behind me, seeking the right path. This is really the idea we're going for here. We're trying to say that this is pushing forward for a particular path. If I'm hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it's really the same idea as I'm looking at a map and I'm trying to get to my destination. It's something I want. It's something I have a desire for. Our scripture reading this evening was from the book of Psalms and discussing as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. He seeks after that. Now you think about an animal that is absolutely famished. What happens the first sight of food? The first opportunity they have to eat. If they are a rabid animal, they're hungry, they want something to eat, they're going to charge headlong for it. That's the illustration that Christ is giving for Christians. We hunger, we thirst, we want the Word of God so much so that no matter how far I have to go to get it, I will get it. I will hear what the Lord has to say. So let's look at this first point here. How do I seek righteousness? How do I hunger and thirst after this? How do I want this? What is the path I have to follow? How do I do this? Well, naturally, in any kind of situation like this, it's going to be a a question that we're going to ask. If I lay out for you, here's how you need to become a doctor. You're going to follow that path to become a doctor if that's what you want. Same thing is true with Christianity. If I want to be a follower of Christ, there is a path that I have to follow. So how do I do this? Well, the first thing that one has to do in order to seek righteousness is hear the word. Oh, that's really simple, right? That was kind of anticlimactic. How do I seek? Well, you have to read. That's the first step. As we've probably illustrated before, and I'm sure many other preachers have had this illustration as well, but if I was discussing the idea of I'm going to try to hear The God's Word, the illustration that's made is God gave us a letter. Every single detail, everything He wanted you and me to know, everything about His character, about His Word, about His church, He laid it all out for you and sent it to you. And what a lot of people love to do is they want to take that letter, they're excited to have that letter, They take it to their next door neighbor and they say, okay, what I want you to do, I want you to read this whole letter and I want you to summarize it for me in about 20, 25 minutes and then tell me. And honestly, that's how most people get their understanding of God. The reality is if all you get about God, all you understand about God comes from a pulpit, you're woefully lacking understanding. Because I can't even begin to illustrate everything there is to know about the Bible from standing in a pulpit. If I were to stand in a pulpit every single Sunday for 80 years, I would barely scratch the surface of God's Word. It's just not possible. So then what's my mission? What's your job as an individual? To seek the right path. To hear the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. So the faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, I have to have access to it. I have to hear what God has to say. And upon hearing that word, I believe it to be true, producing faith. But that comes only from the Bible. God's word, God's inspired word. But it's more than just hearing it right. It's more than just reading. I can read a book and that doesn't mean I grasp anything. I can read a book on astrophysics and walk away just as dumb as when I opened the book. So how do we do this? Is it more than just hearing? Do I just have to read it? Do I just have to hear a sermon on it? Well, obviously there's more to that. We also have to delight in His Word. Delight in His Word. When I was growing up, my sister was a big reader. Loved to read, and I never understood that. I, I would see her read a book. It was, I don't know, 200, 300 pages. She'd have it finished in a week, and I'd say, how on earth did you do that? How are you able to do that? She said, "I don't know. I just like it." Friends, most people when it comes to Christianity, this is their biggest chore is reading the word of God. Cracking it open and seeing what God has to say and we say, "Well, I don't want to have to read Leviticus. I don't want to have to read Deuteronomy. I will read Matthew 37 times. I'll read James twice. I'll read and we pick and choose and we understand. we get confused as to why people don't really grasp who God is. I can go to different parts of it and I can jump around and I can say, okay, that makes sense. But the reality is, unless I delight in the law of the Lord, unless I actually want to grasp what God has for me, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting my time. I'm reminded of Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, where David, writing it, starts off at the beginning, said, Blessed is he that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But what's that second verse? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. Meditates day and night. Now, we can think of a million ways that we can describe that idea of meditation. A lot of people like to call it you're sitting around and you're trying to find yourself. But it's more than that. This idea of meditation is literally contemplation, deep diving into the Word of God. I hear something in the Word of God and I say, Okay, what does he mean by that? What does he mean? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. What does that phrase mean? How does that connect to the other things that Christ has taught? How do I compare this? Digging for the meaning. Now, some things are as simple as it's what it says. What it says is right there, but some of them do take some digging, take some understanding of what God was meaning by that. Some phrases that Christ made or that the Lord made through His prophets had references to other periods of history. And it takes an understanding of that. But we have to delight in the law of the Lord. The reality is, showing up here this evening or this morning or showing up Wednesday night, that's the easy part. That's the easy part of Christianity. I can come here, I can listen to a sermon, and it's great, it can be uplifting, maybe it's thought-provoking, maybe it moves me to action and say, I, I have something wrong in my life and I need to fix it. But this is the easy part. Digging into the Word of God, seeking after righteousness, those are things that are difficult because sometimes that brings us in conflict with the world. Sometimes that brings me in conflict with the things that are comfortable. Sometimes that makes Thanksgiving a battleground instead of a wonderful holiday. It can be difficult to seek after righteousness because what that path entails, you see the picture behind me. How do I seek it? I see all these different paths out before me. What do I do? Sometimes that path is rocky. Sometimes that path is windy. It's difficult. It's hard to follow. But I seek anyway because I see value in reaching my destination. I see value in what's coming next and so I seek what God has offered me because He's promised me so much more than I ever could get on my own. Think about all that God has offered from day one. Some people like to say that all God offers is a life of servitude that makes life difficult and hard and it brings conflict and all these things. And I suppose if you don't think about the benefits of it, then that's all there is to it, right? Suffering needlessly. But the reality is God has told us to be His messengers, to go out into the world to tell people, hey, the ship is sinking. It doesn't matter what we choose to do here on this earth, the end result is going to be the same. The earth is going to be destroyed. That's the end result. Now, where we choose to be, the life we choose to live can determine where we go after that. But what God said was from day one, from Genesis chapter 3 in particular, man sinned, death is coming. We're not going to live forever. We're not going to be able to just continue to live here on this earth and do whatever we've always done. And death is sometimes something that people don't want to consider, but it's a reality. We've all probably seen the commercials where someone says every three seconds someone dies in a certain way. They illustrate it maybe by a guy snapping his fingers. At that moment, someone just died. That's our reality. And imagine how heartbreaking and how terrifying a world it would be if we have to navigate it without any plan. Without any map to follow. But God gave us a way. He says, you seek after righteousness. Now what's righteousness? What what is this that we're looking for? The Word of God. The Word of God because He is the only one that's inerrant. He can't make mistakes. He's the one that created the world. He's the one that has free reign over what happens to the world. And He offered us a way forward. He offered us a way to come back to Him because of our sin that separated us from Him. But what's the third point? We have to apply what we hear. See, it's one thing to read the Word of God. That's good. It gives us some understanding. It's necessary to delight in the law of the Lord and try to grasp its understanding. But friends, knowledge without application is useless. I can know the cure for cancer and if I never go to a lab and put it together and send it out into the market, that is a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. Friends, we are sitting on the cure for sin. We are sitting on the cure for the way of the world. What are we doing with it? Do I keep it to myself? Do I show it to my friends and say, hey, look at this cool thing I found? but never take it to the ones who need it? Think about how much hatred would come upon the medical community if they developed a cure for every known disease but only gave it to doctors. Think about the outrage. How dare you hide that from us? I've said before, and I'll probably keep saying it because I don't think it's ever going to lose its potency, the most terrifying song for me to hear. The most heartbreaking song for me to hear is, You Never Mentioned Him to Me. When in the better land before the bar we stand, how greatly grieved our souls will be. If any lost one there should cry in deep despair, you never mentioned him to me. Think about that moment on the day of judgment. You're standing there and let's say for sake of illustration that we're going to be going into heaven. We know the beauty that's waiting for us. We know the home. And again, for sake of illustration, we see someone else following the other path and we recognize them. Maybe that was our friend, our coworker. And they look across at us and they say, Why didn't you tell me this was coming? I didn't know. He said, maybe I wouldn't have listened to you. Maybe I would have shirked it. Maybe I would have said, you're just stupid. But why didn't you at least tell me? Friends, seeking righteousness is more than just for you and me. Seeking righteousness means we're telling the world as well. We find those who are lost in the world. We try to bring them in. But we can't wait for them just to show up on our doorstep. In Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses eighteen through twenty, Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples. He tells them to go out to teach the word, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. What did he just command them to do? Go teach. Go bring others. So, how do I seek righteousness? Hearing the Word of God, delighting in hearing the Word of God, focusing on it, digging deep into it, understanding what He has to say, and then applying what I've heard. We don't just preach sermons, teach Bible classes, and all of that just to pass time on a Sunday morning. We don't do these things just so we can all get together, even though it's a wonderful thing to spend time with fellow Christians. This is training, this is boot camp. Because the world out there is difficult, as all of us have seen in one way or another, and it takes training, it takes preparation. It takes focus to face the world, to face what it's going to throw at us, because the devil is, he knows what he's doing. He's done it for years and years and years, and it hasn't stopped working yet. He wants to destroy those who are against him. James chapter one verses 22 through 25. Tells us not to be just hearers of the Word, but doers. Committed to the work. Committing to what's been laid out before us. Even though it's going to be difficult, even though there's moments where we stand there looking at all the paths and saying, well, where do I go? We have a guidebook. We have a map to follow. So how do I seek righteousness? We lay those things out. But the other thing that's important in seeking righteousness after righteousness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness is understanding that God provides for those who seek. He provides for those who seek. There was a story I heard on one occasion that really kind of it really sparked a curiosity on this. A lot of people love to talk about the idea that God is cruel because not everyone will hear. Not everyone has access. Not everyone can study the Word of God. But God has provided even for those who are in remote areas. There was a preacher I heard on one occasion who was working in Iraq. He was a construction worker. Initially, he was a veteran of Saddam Hussein's Republican Guard. Devout Muslim, grew up in a Muslim family, was in the the heart of the Middle East, a place that you would think Christianity would have no way of getting to. He was walking through the marketplace one day, and he found a copy of the Gospel of Luke. Read that. As he read that, he saw another copy later on of Mark, Matthew, and John. Through just those little scraps of the Bible... He began to understand what he needed to do. He began to understand what was necessary and began to be interested in this man called Jesus. He reached out to those who could help him and eventually was baptized into Christ. The heart of Iraq. Because he had a heart that sought. He sought after the Word of God. He sought after the Lord because he wanted to understand. I'm reminded of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Cornelius was a Roman, a centurion. He's one that, why would he listen? But he was a devout man. And he was seeking what was necessary. He was seeking after the Lord. And in one of his prayers, offering up to God, God answers him and says, You need to go to Peter's house. You need to go talk to this man called Peter. He'll take care of the rest. Now, for those who are in the world, a lot of times it seems pretty complicated. If God comes down and speaks to you directly, would you not think you're automatically saved and wouldn't have to go talk to somebody else? But God told him, you go seek after the preacher. You go find after the one who can tell you what you need to do. Peter needed a lesson himself, but what happened? He taught Cornelius. Cornelius became a Christian. And his household as well. For those who are interested, for those who want to follow after the Word of God, an opportunity will present itself. God's promised that. God has provided for those who are in need. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. That's Matthew chapter 7. This is the latter part of the Sermon on the Mount. Specifically in verse 7, let's read what the Lord said at the pretty close to the end of His sermon. He says, "'Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Then He goes into an illustration. "'Or what man is there among you, who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish will he give him a servant? If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more good will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask of Him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I'm also reminded of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where he promises that he will provide for our needs. Not our wants, but the things we need to do the work. I think about example after example of Christians who said, we don't know how we're going to do X. We don't know how we're going to accomplish Y. And it managed to work out. It managed to happen. Whether that be preaching the gospel in a hostile place, whether that be building a a group of people in a stateside location, any of those kind of things, focusing on the Word of God will produce benefits not always happy times but benefits in the long run god provides for those who seek second chronicles chapter 15 verse 2 let's consider this point as well in second chronicles chapter 15 specifically in verse 2 beginning in verse 1 gives us the background now the spirit of god came upon azariah the son of oded and he went out to meet asa and said to him Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. God provides for those who are wanting to follow after him, but those who abandon the path have no part with him. Those who remove themselves from him separate themselves. It's the same idea in 1 John chapter 1 where it says God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You can't have those two things together. He said if we say that we have fellowship with Him and do not the things that He has asked, we're lying. We're lying to ourselves which is probably far more detrimental than any other because we fooled ourselves into believing a false condition. God promised to provide for those Who seek after him, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I saw that image and I was trying to think of what would be a good way of describing it. But I think, based on our description and based on the passage that we're discussing here in Matthew chapter 5, it really does paint the picture. If we're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, God said, Here's the bag of food. Here you go. I've laid it out. I've made it available to you. I've done everything I can do to have it in front of you without literally coming down and splitting the skies and coming to your front door and saying, listen. He said, I've given you everything. Seek after me and you will find it. But more than this, God promised to never leave us or forsake us. Just as we talked about in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, God has promised that if we follow after Him, if we're a part of His family, if we're going to be committed to Him, He will be with us. It says that again in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20. We discussed that earlier. God has made this promise constantly that I will never leave you nor forsake you because I am one, I provide for my children. If we need proof of that, just look through the history of Israel. Is there a group of people that most of us would have dropped more than the children of Israel? Just say, I'm done with this. This is ridiculous. I've provided literal miracles for this group of people, and they're still going to complain that they don't have enough bread. I made water come out of stone. I made a giant sea split down the middle, and you walked across on dry land, and you don't like quail? But those people, God still provided the way for. Now some might say, well, I mean, God wiped out all those that were older. He destroyed all of them. Well, yes, because there's consequences to your actions. But did God provide for them while they were wandering in the wilderness? Yes. Yes. Moses sinned against God when he did not respect him before the people, when he did not believe God enough to actually give credit to him. Instead, he said, here ye rebels must we fetch you water from this rock. But God still called Moses the meekest of all men. Moses is still labeled in the great hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. What about David? David made mistakes. David sinned against God, but... David is called a man after God's own heart. How is that possible? Psalm 51. When David knew he was separated from God, he came back. He made that right. Now sometimes he needed someone wagging the finger in the face and saying, hey, you're the man. But he came back. God is not the one who leaves. If we find ourselves separated from God, it's not Him who's separated from you. When we make the decision to leave him, his hands are tied. Because he gave each of us free will, the decision we can make of whether or not we want to follow him or we want to follow the world. That's our choice to make. But he's always left the path available for us to come home. God provides for those who see. God provided for all of those who sought after him. We talked about Hebrews chapter 11. If you just go through piece by piece and look at Hebrews chapter 11... And you see all the illustrations that are there, all the names that are listed, all of the people at the end that's not even their names are listed, but all they went through. You think about how God described it at the end. How God looked at those people. He saw them as valuable. He saw them as His people. So much so that the Holy Spirit inspired the Hebrews writer to give us an entire description of them. But those people were just people. Just like you and me. What will our decision be in those moments of crisis? When the moments show up where we are forced to make the decision between we're going to follow God or we're going to follow the world, what path will we follow? Will we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Will we be committed saying, I'm going to follow after Christ? Or will I neglect it because it's too hard? There was a man on one occasion who gave an illustration where he said that a starving animal has two choices. It's going to be difficult for them to catch their prey if they're starving, genuinely starving. Their body's not going to be at its peak capacity. He says, so they have a choice. They can endure the pain to catch the prey, Or they can lay down where they are and die in peace. So that's their choice. Do we hunger and thirst for the Word of God as if it were our last meal? Do we seek after what God has offered us? Do we tear open the pages of His Word just to find out what's the next thing I need to know? When we're faced with difficult moments, is my first thought, what does God say? Or what can I find from the nearest psychologist? What will our decision be? I can't answer that question for you. I can only answer that question for myself. I can only look in the mirror and decide what I'm going to do. But the path is always available. God has laid out the framework. He's given us the way of escape from the sins of this world. He's given us a way that we can follow after Him and be a part of His kingdom and be in heaven with Him for all eternity if we're willing to make the commitment. Maybe this evening you're not a member of the Lord's church. You never decided to follow this path. Maybe this is the first time you've even heard about the Word of God. Maybe you've been interested in congregations before but never really sat down and listened. We are more than willing to sit down and study with you so you can know more. So that you can understand exactly what God wants you to do so that you can have a right relationship with Him this very evening. There's no reason to leave these doors unsure about eternity. Maybe you know what needs to be done. You've studied the word of God, you understand what needs to be done, but you've just been holding on to the back of the pew too long. You've been waiting for an opportunity, but just keep saying, "No, I'll do it later." I can assure you, later may not come. There's no reason to wait on that. God wants to make you right with him this very evening. He made the path available upon hearing the word as we talked about in Romans 10:17. We believe it to be true, John 8:24. Upon believing that word to be true, we understand this is fact. We're willing to repent of all of our past sins, Acts 17, 30. Change our way of thinking. I was following after the world before. I was listening to the ways of the world. Now I'm going to follow after Christ. And upon repenting, upon saying, okay, I'm going to follow after Christ, I'm willing to make that good confession that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, according to Romans 10, 10. And based upon that confession, we'll be more than happy. We'll be thrilled to baptize you into Christ this very evening so that you don't have to leave here unsure. You can have all those sins washed away and raised to walk in newness of life, as we read in Romans chapter 8. But maybe you did all that. Maybe you are a member of the Lord's church, but you stopped being hungry for the Word of God. Maybe you haven't sought Him like you should have. Maybe you've turned away and started thinking the ways of the world seem a little more comfortable. He wants you to come home. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Under what conditions if we confess our sins? But these front pews aren't just for those who are in sin. It's also for those who are struggling as well. Maybe you just need the prayers of the church. I'm struggling. I need help. That's what we're here for. If you have any need this evening, don't hesitate. Don't wait for another opportunity. Make the decision right now as together we stand and as we sing.